0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I want to read to you from John chapter 8. They all went home, but Jesus, who went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. "...where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women." Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The word of the Lord. Have you ever been in the midst of a conversation and you uh, thought that uh, you knew what the conversation was all about and then halfway through the meeting or the conversation uh, you learned actually there's something totally different going on here that I didn't know about and that other issue was actually the issue it actually happens pretty frequently in marriage as well as in other times in life and it happened to Jesus in this story about Jesus and the adulterous woman because the story isn't really about the woman. (laughs) It actually is about a highly concerned group of men who saw in Jesus a threat to their way of life. And so though the chapter begins with the Pharisees and scribes picking up stones to throw at the woman, the chapter ends 59 verses later with the same people throwing rocks at Jesus and that was really what was in their mind. These were strict men, morally speaking. They had devoted their lives to knowing and obeying the laws of God. But they were just terribly blind to the truth, and it had caused them to be blind in many other ways too. Yes, the woman was an adulteress, but there had to be a man somewhere close by who was equally guilty. They seemed blind to that. Yes, the law of Moses did call for stoning in some situations, but it required that both parties be stoned and that various trustworthy witnesses be present. In fact, it was almost impossible to meet Moses' requirement for the death sentence in the case of adultery. But these men, they weren't really concerned about the woman. She was just a tool in their hands. It was a plan to entrap Jesus. And obviously, they were, they were also totally blind to who he really was. Well, the Lord didn't bother to explain to them that God's view of sin is much more subtle and that even to dwell on lustful thoughts towards another is already sin. And hardly hardly anyone is really pure in that area. But he knew that if he said she shouldn't be stoned, they would accuse him of being lax about the laws of Moses. And if he said that, Uh, she should be, they would report him to the Roman authorities who didn't allow the Jews to carry out executions. So he would be accused of breaking the Roman law. Uh, So it's not a story about a woman as much as an effort to entrap the Son of God. And so he did what we all should do more frequently than we do. He didn't say anything at all. He eventually stooped down and began to write in the dust with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. We don't know the significance of that. Except that the word used to describe him writing is a pretty rare word. And it literally can mean to write down a record against someone or a record against other people. He may simply have begun to list some of the sins of these self-confident, self-righteous men. And that would not have been a problem for him because he sees into the hearts of all of us. And all we know for sure is that there was a heavy silence in that temple for a few minutes that morning. And Jesus let it be quiet in order that what was really happening would sink into people's hearts. And eventually he stood up and he said to them, Well, let any one of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he just bent down and began to scribble in the dust again. And and in that quiet moment, I think one thing became clear. It became clear who was in charge of the meeting and who had the only genuine moral authority to make a moral pronouncement at that moment. He spoke directly to their conscience. He doesn't say whether the woman should be punished or not. Everybody knew that Jesus was unequivocally opposed to the sort of activity in which the woman had been caught. The woman had done wrong, but he turned it back on them and said, which one of you is so morally pure that you're ready to carry out her execution? Now, look, Jesus was not saying that only sinless people have the right to pass judgment on sinners. And he was not excusing adultery. Or any other sin. He wasn't saying, well, you know, everybody's human, we all make mistakes. What what I think he was saying is that in order to render wise judgment, we need to have honest motives. In order to render wise judgment, our motives must be honest. And that's the first point. These men were hypocrites, and he wanted them to see this. Now, over the years uh, in our church in Virginia, many, many people have made my way, they've made their way to my door to talk to me about secrets in their lives and to confess to me things that they regret. And God has spoken to them. They want to talk to somebody about it in confidence. I think I've heard just about everything. And for years, I kept a rock on my desk that I picked up in Jerusalem, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to do this, but that rock on my desk would say to me, Yates, you be careful. Are you so pure that you can pick up a stone and throw it at them? It's funny, isn't it? As you get older, you realize this truth more and more. An important part of maturing is the gradual sense of getting to know yourself better and better and your own moral weakness. And you become more patient with others. You become more understanding of others' failures. And so it was in the temple that day. John says, and when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with whom? He said, beginning with the older ones. They were the first ones to realize, well, this really isn't such a good idea. Some ancient manuscripts add, convicted by their own consciences. So those who had come were sure they were right. Now they withdrew, acknowledging that they too were sinners. A rather remarkable turnaround. It is human nature for us to focus on the faults of other people. To be angry about other people's wrongdoings while overlooking our own sins. You know, when you find yourself outraged by another person, it just might be that you're about to realize something about yourself. I think that's the second point here. Ask yourself, what, has, what is it that's caused me to be so angry with this person? Am I covering up faults in myself that have actually made me unusually sensitive to someone else's fault? It does happen. So now Jesus and this woman apparently are standing pretty much alone there in the square. And St. Augustine commented about this. He said, uh, the two women were left. the The two were left alone. Misera and misericordia. A miserable woman and mercy. A miserable woman and mercy. And after a few moments, he speaks. And he doesn't condemn her about her sin. He asks her, isn't there anyone here to condemn you? And she she had no idea that he was the one who could condemn her. She says, no, sir, no one. Jesus, the only one without sin, the only one who rightfully could punish her, but he doesn't. Instead, he says something totally unexpected and wonderful to her. And when we hear his words, we might think back to John chapter 3. Right after John 3, 16, that famous verse, John says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And so Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. What I want is that from now on you live a new life. From now on, commit this sin no more. He said, I'm not going to punish you. Rather, I'm giving you an opportunity to stop your sinful behavior. The literal Uh, translation of what he said implies that he knew this was not a a first time activity for this woman but he doesn't ask her verbally to incriminate herself in in front of witnesses he simply says the time has come to stop just listen to that I'm not here to condemn you but the time is here to stop I wonder what you hear in the words of Jesus. I'll tell you what I hear. I hear both mercy and righteousness. And that's the definition of the goodness of God. Perfectly righteous. wholly merciful. God is without sin, without flaw. But He's full of mercy at the same time. He's condemning the sin but not the sinner. I hear in these words pity and compassion, but I hear a challenge. I hear encouragement. She can change. He's not saying, don't worry, this sort of thing doesn't matter all that much. But, but he is saying, I'm not going to condemn you just now. I'm suspending my judgment. I'm delaying judgment. You can change and I will help you. But it's up to you. You've got to make a choice. The, the gospel is not just about pardon. It's also about the possibility of great change in a person's life. Later that same day, Jesus said to someone else, If you will abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You can become a new person, he says, freed from this this sinful habit, or you can be satisfied to remain as you are. And that's the third point. So then the story's over. It's left just like that. It's unfinished. Maybe to remind us that the story of my life and the story of your life isn't finished either. It's unfinished. So what does it mean to us? There are many, many things that Jesus might say to us if we were standing alone in front of Him. He might simply offer words of comfort and encouragement. He might make promises or words of assurance. But we all know that it is true that there are also times when the Lord confronts us with dark places in our lives. And we all have them. He doesn't condone them and He doesn't condemn them. He offers us instead confidence that if we're willing to turn around and ask His help, no mistakes, no ugliness or selfishness, in our own lives are so deeply ingrained that they cannot be removed and done away with it's called the gospel of the second chance amazing grace I think a lot of you know a lot about it it's not that the things we've broken don't matter broken promises broken relationships broken hearts they always matter And the consequences of our foolishness may remain. But each of us not only has a past, we also have a future. And with that future, with God's help, we can be wonderfully changed. We can be healed. We can be freed. We can be forgiven. We can be redeemed. I I got three angry emails this morning. Very ugly. A man I love dearly, but have had to confront about addiction to alcohol That has ruined relationships and has ruined lives and has ruined his marriage. I didn't condemn him. I didn't condone. But I called him out to honestly face this thing and know that he can be changed. But he refuses to admit it. He blames everybody else that his world has fallen apart. If he will admit to his addiction to God and to others and ask for help, he can be wonderfully changed. But if he won't, he will not change. So, let's just draw this to a close. I'd like to ask you to imagine that you are standing in that woman's place in front of Jesus, in a quiet place, and he's speaking to you. If, if you were standing before Jesus, is there anything that He would tell you to stop? That's the question. Would He confront your critical spirit? Your careless handling of money? Your perhaps easygoing materialism? Or a refusal to be really honest? Or your tendency to say this but do that? Or would He confront my tendency to Make excuses for myself? What about your sharp tongue? What about all that anger hidden behind your closed doors? Would he point out stubborn pride or habits of rarely following through or habits we pretend are really not there? Would he point out secret addictions? Maybe he point out sometimes lack of concern for others. Uh, complacency or, or paying more attention to my cell phone than the person who's in the room with me. God doesn't speak to us about such things in order to condemn us, but to convict us of our need for Him, for His help to change. What does Christ say? He says, turn away from this thing. He says, admit it. Turn to me instead and ask my help. And I will indeed help you. And when we do this... The great words of St. Paul become true for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The beloved British pastor, John Newton, the reformed slave trader, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, he once said, When I reach heaven, there will be three surprises. There will be some people there I never expected to be there. Some people who I assumed would be there will not be there. But the biggest surprise of all, he said, is that I will be there. Because of the grace of God. Only because of the grace of God. We thank you, Lord God, that you are our maker and our savior. And we pray that we will learn to be honest with you and with ourselves. And it will help us grow. Whoever we are, whatever age we are, day by day, more and more, into the people that you're calling us to become. By your grace, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.